the Grinch. You really are an eel. You got cobwebs up your asshole. You got spiders in your dick, Mr. Grinch. If I had the choice between picking between the two of you, I'd pick the seasick crocodile. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent December 15th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You really are an eel. You got cobwebs in your pussy. You got spiders up your butt, Mr. Grinch. If I had the choice between picking between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile. Really? You'd take a seasick crocodile over the Grinch? You're going to have a fucking seasick crocodile swimming around in your apartment, throwing up everywhere, trying to bite you in the ass. You ever seen a crocodile? I wouldn't touch a crocodile with a ten and a half foot pole, let alone pick it over the Grinch. Absolutely ridiculous. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts, you know? There's a few things that happen in the world of acting that um, make for interesting discussion. Um, Right now, there's a shift in the industry, so to speak. A shift in the way in which business is done around the world, online. Yes, online. Everything's going online. Shopping. I'm like addicted to like online shopping. Kidding, if that's funny. But, um, you know, online shopping is very convenient. The whole world of online operations, and it's no different in the acting industry. There's these new databases. They're not that new. I've used several databases, online databases, throughout my career as a thespian actor. Basically, it's like online listings for different auditions, um, agents, representation, talent management. Everything's going online. And I was having a discussion with a... uh, a friend of mine, a, lo- uh, a fellow actress, well, more of a fellow actor, because I'm not an actress. <laughs> so, you know, actor, actress, it's up to the person to decide. But anyway, this fellow actress, actor, friend of mine, we were having a discussion. And she was talking about how, oh, yeah, you know, um, she's got an agent. and uh, But her agent is kind of like, booking all the auditions through these online databases. And, you know, it's a very strange, well, not strange, but it's like the change of the times, you know, the change of the times. Because like back in the day, I don't know, you'd have an agent, 
And if this was a good agent, they'd be, you know, plugged into the industry. They'd have decent connections and they would put you out for good auditions and they would, you know, have a stake involved in the progression of your career, so to speak. You know, there's all sorts of room for opinion in that matter. Well, now with this, with these online databases, you got all these talent agencies just springing up. And basically, these databases are doing the work of the agent. You know, they're really cutting out the middleman between the actor and the audition. You know what I mean? Actors can book themselves in these auditions via these online databases. But these online databases are, in my opinion, and that's what I was talking to my friend, the actor-actress, you know, calm down there, uh, you know, gender-fluid community. But um, as I was talking with my uh, friend, the actor-actress, that's where I find it kind of disheartening because it's like, it's more or less a hoax, so to speak. It's like, you got to pay like, $100 and up annually for access to these online databases, these auditions. And a lot of them are basically just like independent uh, student films, which like is a great opportunity. I mean, if you want to get into some independent films, independent student films, hey, if you're out there as an actor, you got to do what you can to get ahead in the industry. But like, you know... That's the type of thing that they're serving up on these online databases, like independent student films, random, kind of unappealing type of auditions, like, you know, oh, it's an audition for a commercial for, um, I don't know, penis dysfunction, or like just, you know, erectile dysfunction or like all these dumb, goofy, goofball fucking auditions that you'd never want to fucking do. Granted, I'm kind of choosy. I'm kind of hoity-toity as I am a thespian, an actor, as I mentioned, 19 years of experience. That's 19 years of tears. Hard earned fucking tears, blood, sweat, pain, aggravation, sleepless nights. I don't want to go out for a fucking erectile dysfunction fucking commercial. It's not fair to me, you know? I would like to get some pussy again once before I die. Why should I put my face over a fucking erectile dysfunction commercial? That's not fair to me. 19 years of service as an actor, it's not fair. So like, that's what I'm saying. All these fucking whack-ass, goofy, Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, Cat in the Hat, fake-ass fucking auditions, you know, these cheesy, god-awful commercials, these fucking corny, cornball fucking independent films. And you're paying these fees, these like astronomical fees, like $100 and up annually, you know, which, you know, ain't nothing to scoff at because basically it's an industry built on the desire of artists to want to be in the industry, an industry built on your desire to be in the industry. That's fucked. You know, they're collecting a hundred plus dollars a year from all these starving artists. hundred bucks can be a lot of money for some young actor, some struggling actor. So they're collecting all these fees 
for all these mediocre subpar auditions, auditions, and it's just hard to stomach, you know? And that's what I've been thinking this uh, past week uh, after my conversation with my friend there, because it's like, you know, what's the line between staying competitive and staying enslaved? Like, what's the boundary? What's the line? What's, uh, how much should you or shouldn't you accept? Because at the end of the day, um, as an artist, as an actor, you kind of have to hold the reins of your own career. You have to take charge. And what do you and what don't you want to be a part of? So it's food for thought. And it's definitely interesting in this online era. You know, it's a real change in the times. And um, it's also kind of, I mean, you know what? It's also inspiring in the fact that, well, it's like, well, I'm built for this. Um, You know, in my past, I've done a lot of contract work as a temporary laborer. I'm an actor. I'm an artist. You know, you get paid sometimes in, you know, what you call them, like, I guess they're called bursaries, kind of like a little gratuity, like a thank you kickback. So I'm used to working in very much piecework settings, little contracts, little day payment. So it reaffirms in a way, like the idea of like, well, yeah, I'm cut out for this. It's a tough gig, but yet I am cut out for it. So, you know, it's very interesting. Because, like, what other career works that way? You know, like, as an accountant, you go, you get your accounting certificate, your chartered accountant, your fucking X, Y, and Z charting accountant license, your accounting license, whatever the fuck it is. And, um, you know, you basically have the credential. You apply for the job. And you're not, generally speaking, like, Whereas in the acting world, it's like all these little, you know, they can hold it at bay. They can make you pay to audition. They can make you pay to pursue your career. You know what I mean? Like most employers, they just put out a job application. Hey, we're hiring. And you as the trained person apply for the job. Actors, you know, they're like, preying upon our desire to want to be in the industry to begin with. We got to pay to pursue the job. Like, yo, if you have a job that you need fulfilled, why should I pay to apply for it, to audition for it? And that's what these online databases more or less are kind of doing. But it's also an opportunity, like I said, to... um, Stay in the industry, stay in the game, and connect with a wider database of opportunities. So I don't know what I think about that, but, um, you know, I've tried it before. And going forward, um, I'm just going to keep my options open, you know, and, you know, really consider 
how much I want to be involved in uh, certain things in my career. You have to take you have to take charge in your life and in your career, and you know, just because that's the way things are done doesn't mean you have to adhere to them. Yes, and that's relatable across industries. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor. I am also an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Three years of consistent, consecutive sobriety. Yes, very blessed. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a performer. And um, this week, we're actually uh, reeling from some very sad news in the entertainment world. Yes, I have an article that I... Uh, came across um, Juice World a young Chicago hip-hop artist rapper he passed away this week due to um, some substance abuse issues so I got a little information here um, this is off of Wikipedia so Juice World Gerard Anthony Higgins, December 2nd, 1998 to December 8th, 2019. Young man. Known professionally as Juice World, was an American rapper, singer, and songwriter. Born in Chicago, Illinois, he was known for his singles All Girls Are the Same and Lucid Dreams, which helped him gain a recording contract with Little Bibby's Grade A Productions and Interscope Records. Interscope Records. Um, contract deals. This young man was on his way up. He was in the game for real. You know? So, basically, um, so here is what happened to him on December 8th, 2019. Higgins had a history of drug abuse and spoke openly about his experiences. He was living in Los Angeles with his girlfriend, Allie. The two started dating in early 2019. On December 8, 2019, Higgins was aboard a private Gulfstream jet flying from Van Nuys Airport in Los Angeles to Midway International Airport in Chicago where law enforcement officers were waiting for the jet to arrive as the pilot had notified them while the flight was en route that the jet was carrying guns and drugs. Law enforcement later revealed they found three handguns and 70 pounds of marijuana on the aircraft. They also stated several members of Higgins' management team aboard the flight attested that Higgins had taken several unknown pills, including allegedly swallowing multiple Percocet pills to hide them from police while on board and the plane was being searched and the luggage was being searched. I had lived there a little bit. Higgins began convulsing and going into seizures, after which two doses of the emergency medication Narcan were administered as an opioid overdose was suspected. 
Higgins was transported to nearby Advocate Christ Medical Center in Oak Lawn, where he died at the age of 21. Higgins' funeral was held on December 13, 2019, at the Holy Temple Cathedral Church of God in Christ in Harvey, Illinois. Friends and family were in attendance, including collaborating, collaborating artist Ski Mask the Slump God and Young Thug. So yeah, Juice World, rapper, singer, artist, dead at the age of 21. And, you know, um, also, just to give you a little insight onto, like, if you're unaware, because I was, you know, I was unaware of him until I heard of this, um, this tragedy. And then I started looking into him and, um, you know, he's like, he was legitimately on his way up in the game. Like, he was nominated, uh, I'm trying to look here for some of his um, awards and nominations. Yeah, so... He was nominated for an MTV Video Music Award. That's major. Nominated in 2018 for Lucid Dreams. BET Hip Hop Awards. He was nominated 2018. Best New Hip Hop Artist. You know, he's getting major love from the industry. Billboard Music Awards. He won a Billboard Music Award 2019. Top New Artist of the Year. He won. You know, and he had like all these major, major collaborating artists, you know, Ski Mask, The Slump God, Future, Little Bibby, Nicki Minaj. And it's just so tragic to see that, you know, like 21 years old, got the world by the balls and he's playing around with Percocets and um, other substances. And, you know, he dies of an alleged drug overdose, opioid overdose, trying to evade law enforcement. He, he swallows, allegedly, all these pills, Percocet, allegedly. And uh, it's just a tragedy. It's a damn tragedy. And it's like, it makes me think, like, if there's any young listeners out there, you know, I'm a young man. You know, I'm 33 years old, but, um, you know, to the youth, you know, teens, early 20s, people like that out there, if they're listening, like, it's a real deal situation when you're playing with drugs and alcohol. It's not as, um, you know, you know, the fantasy that he must have got caught up in, the, the big, bigger than life situations that his talent found him in, you know, he became successful, was making money, moving along in his career, and all that overshadowed the reality of drugs and alcohol ain't nothing to fuck with. This is real shit, and they have real consequences. So it's just sad to see him go. I, you know... I became aware of him, unfortunately, due to this story that I read. Um, and then, you know, I tried listening to a couple of his songs and it, it was just too eerie. 
That's such this. That's the sad part. Like it sounded dope. It sounded like shit I would listen to. You know, it just sounded like some good hip hop, whatever. It just sounded good, but it's like it was just too eerie. It was like listening to a fucking ghost. You know, and you know. That's not the way anybody wants to clock out of this world. That's not the way you want to clock out if you're out there and you're struggling. And if you are, I suggest perhaps giving a try. Um, 12-step recovery. Give it a try. That's what I did. That's what worked for me. There's many avenues of recovery, but that's what worked for me. I got involved in a 12-step program that's nothing official. These are meetings that are held all over the world. It's basically like group therapy, more or less. There's no dues, no fees. You go and you practice various steps of recovery. You get to share on issues pertaining to your recovery. Then you get to listen. You get to hear from others. You get to listen to others and hear what is affecting them. And through that, you become a part of a community, right? You come out of your isolation and you become reintegrated into society in a meaningful way. And you don't have to play around with, um, you know, all the horrors of addiction. You can, you can move away from addiction, alcoholism. You know, I fucked with Percocets once, you know. <laughs> you know, I was drunk ass and I, I popped a Percocet. It didn't do nothing to me. But it's like, that's the state of mind I was in. You know, I was fucking hammered i was smoking weed chain smoking cigarettes i'm like yeah let me pop a percocet see what happens and luckily luckily nothing happened you know and you know that's how far of a disconnect alcoholism and addiction really play upon a person where when they're in the throes of it when, when you're in the throes of an addiction, alcoholism, drug, you're so disconnected. Like, even in speaking right now, it's so far away from me. It seems so far away from me. I've been sober for three years now. And even when I speak about it, I'm like, am I being a drama queen? Am I talking too much? Was it really that bad? That's the cunning, baffling, powerful nature of alcoholism and drug addiction. Cunning, baffling, powerful. It's like, well, was it really that bad? Homelessness, continual drinking, um, waking up on the sidewalk, waking up in the, you know, the bottom of a staircase, broke all the time, facing home eviction, Career in the gutter, no family, no friends, anxiety attacks, paranoid episodes. Was it really that bad? So it's like, that's what the fuck the deal is when you're fucking around in this world. And, you know, my heart and my prayers are with Juice World, Gerard Higgins, as he is, um, as he was known. And hopefully through this, he can reach perhaps maybe his fan base. Maybe some young people who were into his music can hear this story and take a positive message where it's like, 
hey, you know, if you're playing around with this shit, it's for real and it's not a joke. So Gerard Higgins, a.k.a. Juice World, God bless you, young man. I hope you're doing, I'm hoping you're finding the peace. Hoping you're finding the peace that I'm sure you sought through a lot of this experimenting and, you know, we all go through it and hopefully we can move forward to a better day. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Ramcharan, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. <laughs> I'm talking mop buckets, slop buckets, toilets, tampons, garbage bins, recycling bins, organic waste bins. I'm talking parking lots, the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. I push a little mop bucket. I dip the mop in the mop water. Then I mop the floor. You know, mopping floors, um, washing windows like an asshole. You know, pushing a garbage trolley. You know, pushing garbage trolleys and, um, you know, vacuuming. It's blessed, you know. Um, Number one, um, it keeps me focused in my recovery. As I mentioned, the world of addiction, alcoholism, it's a pretty tough climb once you've been in that place and to climb out of it. And you need to stay focused. And having a 9 to 5 gig keeps, um, keeps me on the straight and narrow. Because idle hands are the devil's playground. <laughs> idle hands are the devil's playground. And... You know, a nine to five keeps me focused, gives me something positive to do to earn an income. And I'm very blessed for that opportunity. And in conjunction with that, I am a performer. So expenses come up. You know what I mean? Equipment for the podcast. I just bought some new equipment for the podcast. Um, Let's say I want to take a trip. I want to take a trip. I want to go off somewhere for some inspiration. I want to um, buy some new clothes. You know, that's all a part of the wardrobe of being a performer. So expenses come up. And when you've been bouncing around, living hand to mouth as a starving artist, which I did. I lived that starving artist, alcoholic, bumbling, starving artist. I've done that. It can wear upon you. It can really take its toll. And they fail to tell you that it's only really cool to be a starving artist if you make it. If you don't make it, then you're just a fucking loser. Some fucking dummy who lives in, who lives in somebody's basement, sleeping on couches, living in men's shelters. You're just a pathetic, washed up, washed up, has-been hack, basically. So... Through my, journey, through, uh, through my journeys as a performer, I've learned how to work smarter and not harder. You know? A janitorial hustle obviously isn't ideal, but it keeps me in the game of performing and it covers my bases. And I'm very grateful for it. And, um, you know, so we've actually had some very interesting occurrences in the janitorial hustle as I mentioned. 
This past week was performance appraisal week. I got my performance appraisal, my annual performance appraisal. And um, hmm, I got it right here. Uh, and, um, you know, one thing that I talk about on the podcast is the relatability. The relatability of what I do as a performer, as a janitor, as a recovering alcoholic, how those can be relatable to anybody in any situation out there in the world going for them and theirs and yours. So check this out. As I mentioned, the ups and downs as a performer, alcoholic, you know, the, the necessity of a job and the pursuit of a dream. You know what I mean? Check this out. My performance appraisal, 2019. So there's several different headings of which I'm ranked, right? There are several, several different um, headings of which I'm ranked. And number one, professionalism. Has a professional and neat appearance. Has a positive attitude at all times, punctuality, flexibility, reliability, initiative, and autonomy in his or her work. Remains calm under pressure, represents well the values of the employer. I got a number four, commendable. Customer service. Offers good, quick, and efficient customer service. Good attitude with the customer. Greeting. Thank you. Good use of the program. Service that sells. I got a four. Commendable. Um, and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Basically put, I got a four, which is commendable. And what commendable translates to in this uh, performance appraisal is commendable. Number four equals operating at 105% to 120%. Woo! I'm 120% a janitor, motherfucker. I'm talking commendable. You know, that is the rating that I've gotten from my supervising janitor, my manager janitor. Um, They gave me a rating of 120%. I am commendable in my duties as a janitor. Yes, you know, and that translates across the board. If I can hold that type of focus on, you know, my janitorial hustle, imagine what kind of focus I can have on things that actually fucking matter, like my acting career, you know, my recovery. So if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Every little thing you do in life can be relatable and transferable to other areas in your life. You know, that's why it is so important to always do your best. But this little breakdown didn't make all that much sense because um, my supervising janitor, my managerial janitor, um, she broke it down here too in the comment sections. It goes, it is a pleasure to have Jonathan on the team. He is dependable and a team player. However... Please arrive at the scheduled time of 7.30 (laughs) a.m. It's like a little bit of a grammatical, a little bit of a grammatical faux pas going on here because it's like, what? 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 It's a pleasure to have Jonathan on the team. He is dependable and a team player. 
However, please arrive at the scheduled time of 7.30 a.m. Well, I don't know what to do about it. What do you want me to do about it? Like, are you talking about the, the person reading this or are they talking about me? You know, it's like, Jonathan is a team player. He's dependable and a team player. However, please arrive at the scheduled time at 7.30 a.m. It's like grammatically fucked. You know what I mean? It's like, are they talking to the first person reader of this appraisal or are they talking about me like who's supposed to be there at 7 30 a.m obviously it's me <laughs> you know that's one of the little um you know i can't be fucking perfect uh you know i'm late for work like i'm like 15 minutes late for work pretty much every day but i've actually been better within the last month i've been on time ready to rock as a janitor for my um shifts this past month but in the past, I was always kind of like running around 15 minutes late every day. But that's partially because of Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. A lot of times I'm recording, editing, uploading first thing in the morning. <laughs> Crack of dawn, getting my fucking game on. So if I got to be a little bit late to fucking push a broom, so be it. But my managerial supervising janitor is correct. I should, I should really shoot to be on time. So going forward, there's always room for growth. And that's what I'm going to do as a janitor moving forward. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, janitor. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah, I'm talking 11 years in the game and still feeling blessed, you know, as I mentioned there, um, there's always room for growth as a janitor. So, of course, there's room for growth as a stand-up comedian. I've been reflecting over my um, 2019 as a stand-up comic. And, you know, there's been a lot of um, growth, a lot of learning. Um, I produced my own shows this year. Our Righteous Mike. Our Righteous Mike is the name of the show that I was producing this year as a stand-up comic. Um, that was cool. Um, I really went out there and looked for venues, looked to book acts, and was really trying to put it together for myself. Ups and downs, smiles and frowns. Of course, I got a lot of good reaction. I got a lot of good material. It went fine. But of course, as, an, as a stand-up comic... <laughs> You know, you can tend to kind of focus on the negative sometimes or the insults, you know, the hiccups, <laughs> the hiccups, they really kind of stick out in your memory more than the positive sometimes, right? I was, I was producing one of my shows this year and this young lady, you know, she had to have been in her early 20s, you know, she's sitting through my act. You know, I'm up there and, you know, I'm, I'm just shooting from the hip. I talk it how it is, right? How I see it. And we live in this world of political correctness. So maybe I was making fun of fat chicks or I don't know what it was, something. She comes storming up to me after the gig, right? There was a couple comics standing there, right? And she's talking to the comics, right? She goes, you were funny, you were funny, you were funny. But you, pointing at me, she goes, you need to work on it. And I go, oh, thank you, miss. Thank you. 
she goes, ah, skulks off, right? Skulks off, right? <clears throat> so it's never a comedy show unless somebody's complaining. <laughs> but, you know, um, I did take into consideration what she said. Of course, of course I need to keep working on it, right? It's never my intention, intention to, um, you know, insult and put off an audience. But hey, hey. I must be doing something right to elicit that type of response because, hey, man, I'm handling dynamite up there. You know what I mean? I'm making jokes on societal matters in a day and age when people are so pussy-whipped, backwards, fucking self-conscious, anxious, to say a fucking damn thing. You know, they're quiet as a mouse fart around anything involving opinion, um, involving the truth, (coughs) as I see it. So, whatever. Fuck it. But yeah, you know, I, I learned from producing shows. I learned from just getting on stage. I did a little bit of road work this year too, yeah. Um, I got on the road, couple, caught a couple Greyhound buses, went through the province of Ontario here and there, Hamilton, Ontario, Oshawa, Ontario. So I, I did a, li- a few road gigs Got on stage locally in Toronto. And I guess what I learned is moving forward into 2020, um, there's a lot of room for growth and to keep pushing, keep pushing and working on it. Like that angry bitch uh, said to me, right? You know, I got to work on it more. And, um, you know, because pretty much right now, um, it's the end of the year. The end of uh, 2019, I'm pretty much wrapped for the year. No more shows, no more, um, you know, yeah, pretty much no more shows. And my focus is on 2020. And, you know, like I said, everything that I went through as a stand-up comic this past year, I'm going to move forward into 2020 and try to capitalize and move forward and Put a dent, put a dent in my fucking comedy game. Time to step it up a notch, you know, and um, make more choices and get a little dangerous up there. So there you have it, folks. Those are the four things that sum me up at the moment. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. Yeah. Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, closing down for the year, no more shows, no more classes, courses. It's fucking December 15th. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is around the fucking corner. Jolly man in a red suit. And, you know, yeah, I'm just kind of, you know, getting in the groove. Getting in the groove for the holidays, you know. Want to start watching some... uh, you know, classics. You heard me crooning off the top there. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I want to get into my How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I want to get into my Home Alones 1 and 2. You know, I want to get into that. I want to get into, um, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. Hey, say now wait a minute. 
I want to live again. Say, hey, wait a minute. I want to live again. Oh, it's a wonderful life. Ah, oh, Gladys, why do we have all these damn kids? Huh, Jimmy Stewart out saying, now wait a minute. <laughs> you know, James Stewart, it's a wonderful life, you know. Say, now wait a minute. Buffalo girls, won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight. <laughs> you know. So it's all this time of year to catch up on the fun classics, the Christmas specials, all that. It's a Charlie Brown Christmas or whatever, you know. I want to catch up on those, have some fun. And, um, you know, been playing bass guitar. That's my hobby. Slapping the bass and, you know, slapping the old bass, having a little fun. And, uh, you know, I've been doing that. And I got to do a little Christmas shopping Got to do a little Christmas shopping this afternoon, you know. I'm going to go down to uh, the store, get a couple items. Um, It's the Janitor's Christmas Gala Ball. The 2019 Janitor's Ball um, coming up up at work this coming week. So I got to go get a little party equipment, a couple party supplies for the Janitor's Christmas Ball 2019. So I got a lot to look forward to, you know. So I'm just kind of keeping on that tip so um you know as always all the best to you and yours dear listeners during this christmas season you know stay happy stay healthy stay focused on 2020 and you know round out the year with a bang you know enjoy some good time with the family the friends and you know all the best we're coming to a close um, I got a few articles I want to get into you. I want to get into you? <laughs> you know, I want to get to a few articles here. Um, interesting, interesting shit. Um, yeah, so um, as you all are aware, um, or you should be aware, um, I'm hailing out of Toronto, Canada. You know, I am a Canadian. And this past October was the... Prime Minister election. The election for Prime Minister this past October. And um, we are now in the era of um, another four years, I believe, of Justin Trudeau. Yes, so what, I wear a little bit of blackface. I'm just dressing up. It's a little bit of fun, you know. And going forward, I'm here for you and your needs and your wants. I love the LGBTQ2 LGBTQ, sometimes it's hard for me to get that out of my mouth because there's usually a cock in it. But um, the LGBTQ community, I'm very much in favor of them. I love black people, even though I wear blackface. I love brown people, even though I wear turbans and dress like an asshole sometimes at fucking Halloween parties. And I'm a very um, social justice warrior, conscience, conscious prime minister, Justin Trudeau. Blackface. So anyways, old Justin Trudeau, he's back in office. That's kind of old news. But, um, you know, what was um, one of his kind of opposed opponents in the prime minister election was um, Andrew Scheer, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Now, um... Here's some interesting news on Andrew Scheer. Um, This is interesting governmental world affairs news, in a way. 
So check this article out. This is from globalnews.ca. Commentary. Earth to Andrew Shear. Never tick off Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper was the uh, previous Prime Minister of Canada. Conservative Party leader. Conservative. So anyways, this is the article. Commentary. Earth to Andrew Shear. Never tick off Stephen Harper. This was written by Charles Adler. Andrew Shear resigns as Conservative leader. I have been predicting ever since election night that Andrew Shear would take a walk in the snow <laughs> over the Christmas holidays and early in the new year announce that he's resigning from the Conservative Party leadership. I was aware that the knives were out for him, but I didn't know they would plunge into him. Plunge, plunge them into his battered body with only 12 shopping days left before Christmas. Clearly, the insurgents thought he wasn't going to take a walk in the snow, so they chose to force the issue. This, the issue, Thursday, was the same old issue. Sheer isn't who he says he is. He is a former insurance salesman who never sold a policy. He's a guy who doesn't believe in dual citizenship, but who has two passports. He is staunchly anti-abortion, but he won't say why. He is staunchly opposed to equal marriage, but won't say why. Closet case. And until Thursday, he was just a regular down-home guy. Andy Everyman. But now that mask has been peeled off as his self-righteous face. <laughs> that mask has been peeled off of his self-righteous face. It turns out that his everyman, it turns out that the everyman isn't satisfied with making a quarter of a million dollars a year, but of it, some of it tax-free, with free housing and a mansion and free food cooked by a chef. Apparently, Mr. Everyman also wants party donors 90% of whom don't make anywhere close to his coin, paying for his children's private school education. When this news was leaked by people trying to motivate him to take that walk in the snow, it seems even former Conservative Prime Minister Stephen Harper was upset about it. Global News, Global News's Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stephenson who broke the story about Shear's private school, Perk, told me that. My conversation with her is below. Blah, blah, blah. Da, 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 da. Now for a little inside baseball. There was a movement inside the Conservative Party, led by Harper loyalists, to coax Shear into leaving earlier rather than later. That movement would not have existed without the blessing of both Harper and most the most powerful person inside the party next to the leader himself, the boss of the Conservative Party fund, Irving Gerdstein. He was left out of the loop on the deal to give Shear a top-up to cover private school tuition. Harper, who also sits on the board, was left in the dark as well. Once it became clear to those gentlemen that the president of the party had signed off on this, they became angry with him and Shear. 
So the, so the major takeaway from this week's events is the following. Don't tick off Harper and Gerstein. You do that at your own peril, but you don't have to take it from me. Now you can just ask Shear. Whoever succeeds Shear, the process will be to waste will be a waste of time for the Conservative Party or Canada unless the new leader is a modern Canadian Conservative. That includes having comfort level with equal marriage, reproductive choice, climate change, multiculturalism, immigration, and the French language. Je m'appelle Jonathan, Nobody who isn't fully and absolutely bilingual is going to be a serious isn't going to be a is isn't going to be a serious contender in Quebec. Well, duh, le duh. I used to vote blah 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 blah. Oh yeah, I used to vote conservative. This isn't me speaking, by the way. This is Charles Adler, the writer of this article. I used to be conservative. But like so many others who haven't been reliable, big C conservatives in the last two election cycles, unless the conservatives choose this time to go for a modern progressive... Uh, fuck this article. Sorry, Charles. I mean, this is, this is the world we live in which now, where it's like there's such a never-ending news cycle that sometimes an article can catch your attention, but then when you start reading it, it's really just a bunch of hogwash. You know, let me finish this up. Um, I used to vote conservative, but like so many others who haven't been reliable, big C conservatives in the last two election cycles, unless the conservatives choose this time to go for a modern progressive conservative, we will stay away from the team blue. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. This article was by Charles Adler, right? Taken from globalnews.ca. Now, hey, it's an opinion piece. Maybe I'm being a little bit prickish. But basically, the point of the article was not the blah, 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 blah. Here's the point of the article, from my perspective. The leader of the Conservative Party, Andrew Scheer, was accepting um, major perks. And I guess you can call them illegal perks. Like he was getting, he was getting his children's private school education funded by the party funded by the taxpayer so that's crazy you know and like if you would have seen this prick the, the bug-eyed wide bug-eyed andrew Shear, you know mr prime minister you don't seem to have any idea of what you're talking about you know the conservative party has done this the conservative party has done that oh bug-eyed fucking andrew Shear. he's using party funds to pay for the private school education of his children so, you know, that's just another testament to what a swelling fucking bureaucratic, blah, 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 corrupt agenda most government bodies are. And we live in the greatest, in my opinion, I live in the greatest country on earth, Canada. I love being a Canadian. And, you know, we have such a, we have such we have such a breath of fresh air in democracy in freedom in multiculturalism you know we have such a freedom in our country 
yet we are still overshadowed with corruption like that. So what's it really like in all these other places around the world? You know, it can't be a picnic. So Andrew Scheer, leader of the Conservative Party, he is resigning his post under these, um, you know, coming to light, these, um, these uh, I guess you can call it embezzlement, right? At the embezzlement of these funds from the party, paying for his private school education for his children. Hey, you know, what do you think of that? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about, um, you know, government leaders embezzling funds? Obviously, it can't be a good thing. But like, what do you think about the idea of government in general? Isn't it bound to be corrupt? You know, is what he did by, it's not even exactly clear what he did other than he was using party funds to finance his children's education, you know, what type of perks, what type of perks should a leader um, be granted? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And here's another um, article as of late. As of late, I've been talking about interracial couples. It just comes up. Uh, previously, I had seen a advertisement on YouTube that made me sick to my stomach, you know? It's like they're always pushing um, interracial couples, which, hey, I'm totally cool with. Go out and love whoever the fuck you want to love, you know? I ain't, it ain't my business who people love, whether it be interracial couples, same-sex couples, gender-fluid couples, bestiality couples, Whatever the fuck it is, go ahead and do it. It ain't my business, right? But, you know, one thing that I find as a black man very interesting is how there is spin around the idea of interracial couples. It's always the same script. White man, ethnic woman. Now, that paints a very odd picture, you know, that really tells a story because as Hitler taught us, propaganda is a major tool in societal um, domination, you know, to dominate a society's mental state, to change the societal dialogue, to influence people's minds propaganda. So why is this advertisement always the same thing? White man, ethnic woman. It's never really the melting pot reality of, you know, Asian men dating white women, black men dating Latina women, the mixture of culture. It's always the same agenda. White man, ethnic woman. What does that say? What does that mean? Right? So I've been talking about that a little bit as of late. Well, here's an article somebody wrote. And, um, you know, food for thought on this whole interracial couples uh, issue. If it is an issue, you know, if it is an issue, I don't know. It's up to you. Go stick your dick wherever you want to. Spread them for whoever you want, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) It's not my business. All right. 
This is an article from globalnews.ca. Interracial couples can face extra pressure to make it work, experts say. This article was written by Olivia Bowden. Before Shefala Burns and her husband divorced, some people couldn't even picture them together. <clears throat> like her parents. What are you doing with this white man? Oh my God, oh my God. Don't make me do a mercy killing. <clears throat> when Burns, a North Indian woman, and her ex-husband, a white man, went to restaurants together with their children, staff would assume her husband wasn't part of the family. <laughs> people, would, people would look at us, then not realize we were all together, said Burns, who grew up in Ottawa. So there was always that separation that was always there, even though we were a family unit. It really stuck out that we were two different races, that we were two different colors, she said. That was like a disconnect. People are still not used to seeing interracial families. Couples from different races and backgrounds can face a multitude of issues that same race couples don't always deal with, explained Burns, who works as an author and consultant now in Vienna, Austria. Ugh. Burns and her husband were married in 1993, got divorced 18 years later, in 2011. In the same year, a census report found that 4.6% of Canadians were in mixed unions, which was the last time this data was calculated. There was more pressure to stay together because of the different races and cultures, she said. And when family got divorced, I was not support from, I did not have support from anybody other than my children. That's her wearing a burqa. <coughs> and when I finally got divorced, I had no support from anybody other than my children. Her side of the family didn't support the idea of divorce and her husband's family didn't either, she said. In the Indian culture, you don't get divorced no matter what. But along with the pressure from both families to work out their relationship, Burns felt that her husband didn't treat her culture and traditions as equal to his own. <laughs> what, he wanted to get drunk every day like an Irishman? Didn't want to eat fucking curry and goat every fucking day of his life? That makes him a racist or something? My husband never fully accepted the culture of our... My husband never fully accepted the culture or the religion or some traditions, she said. He never really fully participated, even though I was fully into Christmas and everything in his culture. The relationship was only, the relationship was also exotized. I don't know what the fuck that word means. Is that an Indian word? The relationship was also exotized by family members. Exoticized, exoticized, oh, like exotic. The family, the relationship was also exoticized by family members, which made her feel strange, she said. It's like they just thought it was so exotic that I'm from a different culture and a different race, she said. 
Hey, my mother was Indian, by the way, right? If you're out there crying and belly aching. How come Jonathan's using an Indian accent? Because my mother was West Indian slash East Indian, all right? Get off my back. I'm still considered different, but I'm not. I'm me, she said. Can you not just see me? Oh, the egotism. Earth to a woman who's babbling in this news article. Nobody gives a fuck about your race. Everybody's interested in themselves. Duh. Okay. I tell you, can't take it anymore. I'm spitzing. In Canada, many consider interracial couples a symbol of the country being more open-minded, inclusive, and multicultural. Interracial couples do face additional pressures, as their unions do not exist in a vacuum. Canada is a country where racism exists, and those couples will have to confront those issues, said Tamara, Tamari Kitosa, an associate sociology professor at Brock University in St. Catharines, Ottawa. How an interracial couple is treated will change based on factors like where they live, how diverse the community they live in is, he said. There will be visible and different sorts of ways that might have different sorts of impacts on their unions, he said. But beyond the dynamics of couples' own relationship, whether they are able to accept each other's differences, they also have to confront beliefs in Canada that mixed unions are utopian and a symbol of an ideal multicultural society, he said. Katosa's research, performed alongside assistant professor Kathy Delvolsky, examines why interracial marriages are viewed as anti-racist and are propped up as progressive. Canada is marketing itself in a globalized world as a place to go for immigrants, he said. But at the same time, some white people are creating a narrative that they are being marginalized and are facing a demographic decline. Around 80% of Canada's population did not identify as a visible minority in 2011. This is creating a toxic brew for making people in interracial relationships much more visible and exposing them to social pressure, he said. Burns said interracial... Burns said interracial relationships, like any relationship, are not perfect. Even interracial couples, they have problems, just like any other couple, Burns said. Just because they're from two different races does not make them any more open or better. For anyone who knows an interracial couple, support them in open communication and understand that they may be facing serious issues. Ask how you can help, Burns recommended. Yeah. So basically the climate of Canada is, um, you know, in a global setting, it's viewed, according to the viewpoint of this article writer and some of the data, it's globally viewed as an immigrant, as an immigrant's haven, a multicultural melting pot, which in a lot of senses we are as Canadians. That's how I was raised to believe. That's what they taught us in school. And of course, there are going to be pressures. Duh. You know, like the lady there, the East Indian lady in the, in the story, in the article, uh, Shafia Burns. That was her name, Shafia Burns. Um, you know, my husband 
did not really understand a lot of my religious needs and my cultural needs and that that is something that's common across any relationship people are individuals you're not going to change another person if they are interested in you it's because they are interested in you you're not going to change them you can't say to a person hey be interested in what i'm interested in you can't change people they're going to do what they want to do so it's like she's complaining you know my husband you know he didn't seem to see me for me just see me for me you should have known that why'd you marry him then obviously it was the wrong choice because it ended in divorce <laughs> but hey you know if race is a problem between is if race and religion is a problem between you as a couple then you can't blame it on a greater societal outlook you know what i mean it's like if you didn't know before marrying a person whether or not they're interested in your culture then that's just you being a buffoon and blindly marrying anybody who comes across your path but to the greater point not to the greater point but to my point of view it's like yes canada multicultural melting pot people are coexisting interracial couples you know it is a little bit difficult i've dated outside of my race but my viewpoint is you know what's with this agenda of white man ethnic woman because it's almost as if like they're trying to drive you know ethnic men out of their own homes and it's like okay it's like that old saying you know i like you charles you're a good guy why don't you come over to my house and fuck my sister you know if it's good for the goose why isn't it good for the goose if it's good for the goose why isn't it good for the gander if they can come over and you know fuck around in my backyard why can't i go fuck around in their backyard what's with this societal image of interracial acceptance we're we're accepting people interracially but yet it's the always the same old tired story when the reality is amongst people amongst society everybody's intermingling right interesting stuff hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com um i don't particularly have an axe to grind on that matter other than it just you know go ahead love who you want to love i'm pro love i'm pro human you know what i mean i ain't getting in people's way of how they love do what you got to do but that's my issue the fucking advertisement the propaganda when it's like what's really the narrative hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com questions queries and qualms and before i get out of here i got a another disgusting another disgusting well i got a news article here that will turn your stomach or make you laugh or turn you on depends on who you are okay check this one out this is an article 
from beta.ctvnews.ca. Thousands of penis fish litter California Beach. <laughs> penis fish? Ugh. Article by Jackie Dunham. Toronto. Before you avert your eyes, there's not, they're not what you think they are. The thousands of pink pulsating phallic creatures that were discovered on a Northern California beach after a recent storm are actually marine worms. The 25 centimeter long worms are officially named Urchis capuo, but they're also known as fat innkeeper worms or penis fish. <laughs> According to the magazine Bay Nature, the non-segmented marine worms were uprooted from the deep burrows in the sand on Drake's Beach. He used to call me on my cell phone. Drake Beach, located approximately 100 kilometers northwest of San Francisco during, <laughs> during a storm earlier this month. And there's like a fucking, there's thousands of them. There's a picture here. I'm going to post a picture of these penis fish. I'll post a picture of these penis fish and, you know, there's thousands of them just littering, littering Drake's, Drake Beach. <laughs> All right. Biologist Ivan Parr, who writes for the magazine, said this particular species is only found between Southern Oregon and Baja, California, which most of the sightings between Bodega Bay and Monterey. Whether or not you feel privileged by its presence, you, Capuo, is an almost uniquely California experience, perhaps having the best claim for state worm, he wrote on Tuesday. <coughs> While Eucharist Capuo is only found in North America, another species in its family called Eucharist unicutus is actually a well-known delicacy for people in East Asia. Despite their awkward shape, <clears throat> awkward, Parr explained that the organisms are actually perfectly designed for a life spent underground. Within a beach or a mudflat, it digs a U-shaped burrow extending a few feet in length, but no wider than the worm itself, he said. The burrow's front entrance pokes up like a little sand chimney. The biologist said the worm is able to slide up and down the chimney of its burrow in order to suck up plankton, bacteria, and other fare. While they may seem rare, Parr said the worms are actually quite common and there is evidence they have existed for hundreds of millions of years. The innkeeper is a survivor with fossil evidence of U-shaped burrows dating back 3 million years, Parr said. As for the creature's recent displacement on Drake's Beach, the Nature magazine said strong storms, especially in El Nino, years are capable of upending the worm's burrows and leaving them exposed on shore. It's still unclear, however, if these powerful worms... <coughs> sorry powerful worms 
It's still unclear, however, if these powerful storms will have long-term consequences for the species, Parr said. <laughs> Penis fish. <laughs> yeah, there's like a picture of them. Thousands of them, you know, and, um, you know... <laughs> I was thinking, like, how do you bait a penis fish? What do you do? You just stick a condom on a fishing line and fling it out into the ocean. You know, fishing for penis fish. Clams. What do you do? Stick a clam on the end of a fishing pole and... (laughs) There's thousands of these things on a beach, right? Makes you want to throw up, right? You have to have a strong stomach. But hey... You know, some people love penis fish. Not that there's anything wrong with it. You know, a lot of East Asian people apparently love penis fish, you know. I could see them doing like snow angels, you know. Cock angels, just, you know, splayed out, you know, fucking, you know, star eagle or whatever. Just, you know, flapping themselves on the ground doing fucking penis fish stars, right? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent December 15th in the year of our Lord, 2019. What do you think of penis fish? Not that there's anything wrong with it. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Interracial couples. Governmental kickbacks. Corruption. What do you think about these issues? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. The podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes. It's available on my website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And of course, we're on YouTube. We're doing vodcasts as of late. It's a blessing. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. Ahight. Peace. <laughs>